Welcome to the Triple V Podcast. Today we are joined by Atticus Franken, the Chief Strategy Officer at Snickerdoodle. Snickerdoodle believes in leveraging NFTs to build a privacy-first, decentralized future where you own your data and the value it generates. Yeah, so I'm a co-founder, lead strategy and growth at Snickerdoodle. Um, Background, uh, myself, uh, John Padilla, Alex McComb, we started the Stanford Future of Digital Currency Lab uh, with faculty leads are David Mazieris. Uh, co-founded Stellar, and Dan Bonet, the uh, cryptographer, uh, who's been in the space for a long time. Um, before that, uh, co-founded a company called Major Clarity in the EdTech space, a company called Econergy in the Renewable Energy space, uh, spent some time at the Federal Reserve, um, at the White House Council of Economic Advisors under Obama, and uh, have just done some you know, additional kind of uh, private equity venture capital stuff on the side as well. Um, so my co-founder, John Padilla, who I think you'll be talking to again, uh, he left as global head of blockchain strategy at PayPal to uh, join this. Um, our CTO was the CTO at a company called Hypernet Labs for about four years um, until he joined our team. Uh, really lucky to have him. Uh, PhD out of Stanford. Uh, has been, of course, building Web3 native applications for, you know, four and a half years now, uh, full time. So we're really excited there. And the majority of our team is uh, engineering at this point outside of, you know, uh, Shira, who leads operations um, and a couple of other uh, BD and uh, and uh, administrative roles. So uh, really good team. We're at 24 full time people right now. And uh we should be scaling uh, additional tech hires uh, as we move to uh, just to expand and, and to move faster on that front. So that's really where the team sits today. We've been around for basically a year since we incorporated, and uh, we should be announcing our you know the, the closing of our current uh, fundraising in the next few weeks. Uh, even worked on the PayPal stablecoin, so. You guys have all the experience in the world, and it was also very obvious from the initial call which we had that you pretty much know everything, right? Or everyone in the space, right? So anything which we spoke about in our call, like other projects like Oculus and so on, I mean, you guys have heard of them already. So it's not like you guys only see what you're building, but I think you have an ex- extremely well um, established overview of everything that's going on, and I think you also have positioned yourselves in an incredibly smart way with the, you know, the way you've set up your, your branding. Well, we appreciate that, the uh, generosity from your end. And, and, and uh, I think, you know, it's, it's really intentional on us. I mean, as we go, as we kind of do our B2B2C expansion in the space, it's important that we always have our eyes open and are meeting any new project that could be of interest, um, which, uh, well, keeps us busy, but it, it's, it's fun. Uh, you know, it's super fun. Yes. <clears throat> um, so do you mind if you start with a brief elevator pitch on what Snickerdoodle actually is and what it does? Absolutely. So Snickerdoodle <clears throat> is basically an NFT data infrastructure layer. And what we mean and what we're known for is the thesis that we believe enterprise NFTs, um, not necessarily board apes or Beeple art, 
uh, but receipts, coupons, tickets, intellectual property, land records, education credentials, medical records, you know, all kinds of things. We view those as the enterprise, as the enterprise uh, NFTs that will bring the next billion users into Web3. And those will function and the metadata around that will function as uh, analogous to cookies uh, as, and how they revolutionize Web2. So <clears throat> essentially what we're building is an ex- uh, accessibility tools that allow for rewards, customer incentives, uh, user incentives for people using Web3 native applications to, uh, to connect their wallets to their Snickerdoodle account and in a privacy-preserving way allow for uh, permission to data access by third parties. So again, one thing to say up front, we don't custody data, we don't sell data, we don't see the data, uh, We have, but we're providing the infrastructure that allows people to perform challenges on that data and receive the specific outputs needed in order to you know, accomplish the challenges. So for example, if I am Adidas, and I am trying to work with, uh, you know, figure out Web3 consumers uh, and reach out to them. I could do a curated airdrop. I could do a coupon program. I could, there's all kinds of things I could do. But in reality, I want to know who I'm dealing with in the first place. And again, that doesn't mean that I know who anybody is. I don't know people. I don't have somebody's identity. I can't find out their PII. But what I can do is perform these challenges on this data layer that allow for uh, users who have, uh, at the end of the day, permissioned their data appropriately to uh, query that information and do more of a curated airdrop. Or, and I'm just using airdrops as an example. That's just one uh, one use case. So, essentially, we we call it a universal accessibility layer. We integrate when people sign in, connect their wallets, and from there we can grow into things like Web3 native advertising, which doesn't really exist in today's, you know, just in today's market. We can do things like digital ID, uh, which is something where right now there isn't a market for it. I'll be the first to say that, and that's why we're not starting with it. But if, for example, each of you have thousands of NFTs that are building in your wallets when you're minting receipts or you're, uh, purchasing things, you know, you're, you're going through NFT marketplaces, playing games. Um, the metadata behind those can create a nice composite profile on somebody like you, not you, but somebody like you, that you then can permission and allow access to, I'll keep the Adidas example. You could, in theory, just say, you know, Snickerdoodle, I want the most rewards, the most uh, yield, the most, you know, options and goodies from everybody, so I'll just delegate permissioning to you. Or... I can just uh, I could permission the data to where I I, I don't want Adidas to see anything of mine. I don't want them to know I exist. I want Ni- I, but I do want Nike to, or maybe I don't want either of them to. But I think the point is, once users have that agency and control of their own data, um, people will be actually. I mean, one thesis: it, our business doesn't rely on it, but personally, I think people will be a little bit more willing to receive different kinds of targeted uh, outreach just because they know at the end of the day, it's their data. They can choose not to, you know, they can, they actually have the choice as to what's going on, which is just a paradigm shift from where we are today. But with the digital ID use case, uh, creating composite, you know, creating that information is really what we see, again, functioning as those web cookies. It's a re it's really 
one of the first decentralized digital ID applications that we see. Uh, a lot of groups that have tried to work on that end up being a KYC AML platform. They serve a huge purpose, but they're centralized systems uh, servicing decentralized applications. Um, we think this is an organic uh, way to uh, to get there without basically uh, just saying we're going to try to partner with centralized credentialing services and then try to sell those to people, which again, there really isn't a market for right now. But we see this as something that could eventually be single sign-on for blockchain. Um, as people want to sign in, you can link your Snickerdoodle accounts uh, and go in there. It helps consumers manage all of their different wallets. I know I waste way too much time uh, on all of my different wallets cross-chain uh, every day. And, uh, be, you know, that's just something personally that would be easy to do. But anyway, that's a long, circuitous answer. Uh, I know that's not an elevator pitch, but I thought it would be good to uh, to go through it anyway. No, thank you very much. It might be the elevator pitch for the Bush Khalifa in Dubai. Yeah, it's about to say the Empire <laughs> State. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, and let me let me just uh, piggyback on on what you just said with a couple of community questions because they already touch uh, on a, on various topics which we um, just discussed about the data ownership um, of the end user and um, integration potentially with governments. So we have a question uh, by CryptoGirl. She asks, a question on Project Petronos. I understand that your goal is to tokenize the minimal amount of information in creating a composite which will be used as a universal ID while still being privacy-centric. Can you tell me how you are approaching this and getting... That's a good question. I take, I'm going to take it in parts. Um, how do we get governments to do it? Well, that's the that's the uh, that's the tricky thing we wrestle with. Uh, we understand the ethos of Web three, and we understand that there are users that are, you know, uh, sometimes skeptical as to okay, we're going to have a government ID credentialing system uh, in Web three. The reason that we think governments are interested in this is because they see this as a new way to verify identity or to do the next best thing. Uh, outside of just partnering with centralized servers. I mean, there's nothing new about issuing another credential. Like, I mean, if I'm a centralized service, I can issue you a credential. That, that, that There's nothing new about that. If I want to verify based on metadata of NFTs and have a composite profile, that is new. And that's where governments have indeed uh, talked to us about that. I wouldn't say anything is, you know, I would, wouldn't say it's beyond the exploratory phases at this point, but there's certainly keen interest in figuring those ways out. One interesting use case of that uh, non sequitur is for somebody who is uh, stateless. So what if I don't have a credential from a centralized service, but I am indeed a human being and a person? Um, how can, let's say, the U.S. government look at a, pro a portfolio of things that you're doing, and if you give them permission to view and to analyze or to challenge it, kind of determine whether or not, uh, that, you know, Determine things such you know like that, which I think could be a really good uh, uh, humanitarian use case. Um, how does it work? So, <clears throat> uh, with the Snicker tokens that we have, which are uh, again just a piece, I call them kind of the air traffic controllers. So those permissioned uh, data NFTs go as they go into wallets, allow for uh, information to be relayed through our decentralized data lake and how it interface wallets. So what I mean by that is. Again, you have the permission. I mean, you have the permissioning tools to turn off, turn on, things like that. 
But the data in its in and of itself, uh, we have the, uh, I mean, what we've developed, and actually this is an area of expertise that Todd has uh, worked with in the past, is various black box uh, data analysis tools to where, again, you have the inputs of your own data, you store it, we don't. It's stored on decentralized storage. We're actually agnostic as to which platform you're using, whether it's IPFS or Arweave or, you know, take your pick. Um, and that is where we're able to perform these challenges where you have your inputs, they challenge it, they can see the various outputs uh, to your question uh, without, again, changing, without sharing those underlying inputs. And part of that, Part of that is simplifying the requests, uh, which this part is not as mathematically uh, compelling, but super important. Uh, and it goes to, I think, part of your question of you know the minimal data points. If I'm uh, over 21 and I go into a bar and I get carded, they don't need the only thing they need to know is whether I'm over 21. They don't need to know my name. They don't need to know my address. They don't need to know my driver's license number. They don't really need to know anything. They just need to know uh, and be able to confirm that I am over 21. So for example, part of a lot of this is engineering how much data does somebody need to perform these challenges? Because right now, again, when you, when you think about all of the forms you fill out in life, I mean, I'm making this statistic up on the top of my head, but I'd say 60% of it is the same thing you fill out every single time. You know, what's my name? What's my phone number? What's your email? Blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, all these things. Um, that redundancy is actually where a lot of interesting things can happen. I think people are would be more willing to, and, and it's easier to manage your data if you're not having to share your entire profile just to enter into a bar. Or just you know your entire uh, profile to complete a point of say you know a purchase or something, and that's where I think uh, pushing the data standards to uh, to uh, with the in Web three where we still have an opportunity to do it before it kind of turns into Web two, and we end up just kind of having the same digital oligarchs as they are today, uh, owning all of the data or controlling most of it, whether and being able to transact on it, whether you know it or not, or want want it to happen or not. I think that's uh, those standards uh, are going to be super critical in getting this done. All right. Thank you. Um, we have so many questions lined up, so let me just uh, see which one makes the most sense in uh, terms of the sequence. Um, I think one was interesting um, regarding uh, healthcare. So uh, Squaba is asking, as a physician and someone who runs a population health center, I'd like to know, are there any plans to use this technology for personal health records or population health management? Absolutely. That's one of the, the NFTs that uh, we see as useful. So if these medical records exist as NFTs, A, you control them, not me, not you know, the health insurance company, not whoever. I mean, you actually control them and you have portability, you have shareability, you have permissioning. What's nice about a lot of these for enterprises is it takes them out of the data management game. So it's obviously there's a lot of regulatory pressure on data management, whether it's GDPR in Europe or in California or um, this actually de-risks it because, again, in, in this platform, the user stores their own data. 
we don't store it. The uh, you know the third parties don't store it. We don't take custody of it. So really, we're not in the data management game. But what it also does is allows for that portability uh, and again those challenges to be performed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think again, credentialing is not a new Web three concept. Uh, people have tried to do it uh, in a variety of forms. I think again. The missing piece has been that all of the business development in that space and all of the authority is comes from or all of the activity comes from one centralized authority. We just happen to be wanting we just happen to want to mint a bunch of credentials uh, on on chain. Um, I think there is utility to that. It's just that flywheel hasn't caught on because they're really there isn't the enterprise adoption or usability uh, built for it yet. If I were to mint, uh, you know, if I were to issue you a college diploma on on chain, uh, I don't really, I don't know of any employers. I mean, I'm sure there are some, but I don't know really any employers that uh, would accept it. So it really, you know, it's it's again any kind of marketplace like that. It's hard to get it to adoption on both sides. Um, so we think this indirect way. Uh, is the most feasible way to get that done. But yes, uh, medical uh, records, certainly something that we would want to see. I mean, we think it's going to happen, and we definitely think that our uh, data models are going to be a compelling way for for medical records to be more accessible, more democratized, and just uh, more user-friendly. Thank you. And now one of my favorite questions, because I'm pretty sure that I know the answer to this, um, but Jesse asks, do you think big tech companies will step in and try to stop you? You essentially want to take away a big revenue stream, stream from them and give it back to the people. Uh, excuse me. And give it back to the people. One thought would be a hostile takeover. That's interesting. And I think we've thread that needle really well because we do have legacy corporates investing inequity not enough for anybody to have much control of anything but what i would say is that our business model isn't necessarily incompatible um facebook can still provide its services uh in a world where let's say they integrate with snickerdoodle you can still use facebook everything still operates normally and they can still uh um engage in their data monetization uh but the thing is yes there is some i mean they are losing i mean they are losing carte blanche they are losing the ability to just take your data and basically say because you are using facebook you have you know that's your consideration uh that's you know uh we paid you for your data via your usage of facebook um so what it will do is force a little bit more redistribution there. I don't think there's a hostile takeover coming, A, because Facebook, as an example, I don't think anybody trusts them with data anymore. Well, maybe somebody does, but I really haven't met them. And also, I don't think that a large publicly traded company is going to be able to build a decentralized application like this for a very long time. Um for those of you who spent have spent time in corporate environments uh having to having to uh comply with all of the rules of being a publicly traded company with your shareholders 
that messes with your core business model is just not something I think they'll do. I mean, they, they just won't do it for a long time. And I think what they're used to is acquiring businesses. I mean, they usually, I mean, to your point, they don't, I mean, depending on who you are, if you're a Google, for example, you usually just buy out people that you see you see as a threat, usually when they've grown enough to where they could be a threat. So I think that'll probably still be their approach. Uh, our goal is not to have a quick acquisition. Um, we just think that would be short selling um, what we're what we're doing. But yeah, I mean, the point, but I think this data monetization layer is actually, uh, you could argue to Facebook because they are actually not in the data storage or custody business anymore. If they were to integrate with Snickerdoodle, they they can still provide their service and uh, ping users of their service uh, you know, with advertisements and, and have some kind of revenue share via smart contract. Uh, they might actually, if I were Facebook, I mean, of course, I'm biased, but I would actually like that because a lot of the cost of operating Facebook right now is data privacy. I mean, their headcount is ridiculously focused on privacy and growing. The regulatory scrutiny is continues to grow and won't stop. So it might make sense not in the not too distant future for Facebook to want to pivot and say, you know, if we actually don't have to store data or custody it, uh, but we can still offer our services and ping uh, users who we can require, you know, and, and they can maybe require a Snickerdoodle account to be used for their service. Um, that actually Actually, might be. I mean, theoretically, that would be a better business model for them than it is today, because it would eliminate their largest cost center without sacrificing product or usability. So, since we you have touched on the uh, you know potential interest of bigger parties to acquire you, and you at least in the short term not being you know very interested in selling, um, one question which has come up um, from a variety of our members is. So what would happen in the instance of you being acquired when we talk about the investment we made, for example, i.e., you know, do we still receive the tokens or would there be uh, a case where someone comes in and buys you and then deviates from the plan of launching a token? Um, well, I don't think there's any way that we deviate from launching the token. I, our product wouldn't work without it. <clears throat> um, I mean, because we're talking about building a decentralized data lake of consumer behavior. I mean, that's that's really the core infrastructure that per, that powers this, and you need a token to do that. Uh, and the token that you've invested in is a claim on that decentralized data lake. So, I mean, yeah, I mean the to the token has to stay. I mean, uh, the other thing is, uh, I mean, again, just with Web three, that, that's where the decentralization is so critical. Um, the token is not governed by the C Corp, by us. Um, and the more we grow, the more we will decentralize it. So at a certain point, unless the token holders vote to, I mean, to, I guess, close, you know, to, they, there's a proposal that's voted on that will eliminate, uh, you know, the use of the token, I guess, uh, there's really no danger or no actor that's going to be able to go in there and actually stop it. Um, and that's the other thing. While Snickerdoodle Labs as a C Corp is building certain applications on the, on the protocol that, that's being developed, uh, it's, I mean, it's decentralized. Uh, anybody on this call could develop 
their own ID application or advertising engine or whatever it may be on the Snickerdoodle protocol. Uh, there's nothing that anybody can do to stop you. And in fact, there's no reason for us to want to stop you either. Uh, quite the opposite. So, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think, yeah, I mean, the token is definitely, well, it's definitely going to happen. Uh, I think that's what everyone wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just no, yeah, there's just no, there's just, I just, I just can't, there's just no way. A, nobody would want to do it. B, there's just no mechanism with which I think it could even happen, even if somebody wanted to. But nobody, it would, be, frankly, it'd be really stupid to, to not do the token. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And now that uh, we, we said the word token, you know, the, the conversation is probably going to, to circle around this a little bit. Um, so would you mind um, outlining the utility of the actual token, how it's getting distributed, uh, and maybe, you know, a, a brief overview of the tokenomics? Yeah, absolutely. So the token in its basic form is a claim on the decentralized data lake. So as all of this data is added and, and, and as the data lake grows, that adds to the value and the richness of the, to of the token economy. Um, if you think about, let's say, the advertising use case, um, for those of you who've used, done targeted advertising um, online uh, in Web2, as you know, the more data you wish to use to target more precisely, the more expensive the uh, cost per uh, per impression gets, so you know, and some of these le some of these impressions can go for forty dollars a piece. I mean, it's it can be very expensive, uh, depending on how laser focused you want to be. So think about that dynamic on a decentralized basis. Think about how Snowflake works as a as a consumer data platform, and think about a decentralized version of that. That's what this That's what this um, data like. Uh, exists as so we see this data lake as being the most uh i mean our goal is to have it be the most important piece of data infrastructure in web3 this is what every application will want to plug into so they can understand what their users are doing they can understand what their users are doing outside of their platform web2 users can come in and actually start investing real money outside of innovation or product budgets um into advertising into marketing into other kinds of developments into outreach um and really, that all feeds on this data lake. Uh, and the, the transactions come from pinging the data lake for various challenges for transactions. Anytime somebody's querying a, uh, somebody's data, as they add data to it, and we really, in the long run, are in the long run, our genuine goal is that we want to turn data from a value add to a valued asset. So making it such that the asset, it's, so data actually has a value. So if your data is worth $10,000 a year, what can you do with it? Uh, and that's where I think the data DeFi in, in the future, and again, I'm not saying this is going to be done in the next year or two. We have our core roadmap to build out, but this is a long-term vision. What would you like to do with the $10,000? Would you like to take it up front? Uh, you know, an upfront payment? Would you like to stake it? Would you like to do whatever it is that you want to do with it? But if it's a priced asset, that changes a lot of things uh, for just not, not just, you know, kind of in Web3, but legacy uh, customers as well. I mean, if I'm a large investor and I hold a lot of uh, enterprise, you know, I, I hold a lot of companies that own a lot of data, 
that now becomes an asset on balance sheet as opposed to just kind of a a thing that they have on there that adds value to whatever it is that they're actually doing. That's where we see this. If we can do our jobs, if we can do this correctly, that is a logical byproduct of this. Um, that again feeds into this data lake of how you know pinging the data, understanding this, and that data lake you can think is where all of all of the cookies, you know, Web three cookies exist. Again, we're not actually building Web three cookies. It's more of a metaphor for kind of an you know the the functionality that uh, our our tools enable. But it's again where you think about that decentralized data lake as a way for all of his applications to plug in. Uh, augment their usability, make it easier to use. Because right now, you know, just to be honest, using blockchain products kind of sucks. Um, they're not user friendly. There's a lot of rough edges, and I think usability is something that we see as a big need. And I think we we help as a core piece of that. Um, I know for people like me, I like the rough edges. I like the technology. But we're talking about if we're talking about being a ubiquitous option for people, uh, you know, all over the world uh, with varying, you know, varying ages, everybody included, uh, it can't just stay the rough kind of the rough the rough edges can't stay forever. And uh, we think that we I mean, we're, we're a big part of that. Uh, Atticus, just because it brought it up uh, and, uh, you know, I know you might be restricted in whether or not you can show this, but is there any way you would be able to, to stream the demo? Uh, let me figure this out. If somebody who has a question in the meantime, why? Because I think... Oh, well, I there's uh, dozens of questions. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not going to run out. Um, I mean, one w which might be, uh, which might require a little bit uh, less brain power to answer. Uh, could you maybe outline some of your... Um, biggest or most important strategic partners or investors? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I'll use. Yes. So the investors in the round, our round was led by Tiger Global. Um, we also had participation from Digital Currency Group, from uh, Kraken, from FTX Ventures, from Blockchain Capital, Kinetic, the Spartan Group, um, actually with certain protocols and, and for small amounts, which includes Avalanche, Solana, Paxos. Um, we had uh, Sphermion, which is an NFT-focused fund out of Chicago, uh, Three Arrows, um, GSR, so a, a Tribe Capital, a good kind of smattering. We had uh, Griffin Gaming Partners, um, Every Realm, which we're really excited about, Mythical Games. So a good, you know, a, a good and diverse group of investors from Web3, and we're also doing that small corporate round as well. The soft commits there are PayPal, Salesforce, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, and we're working on Visa and MasterCard as well. Uh, so we'll see who else is, uh, participates in that one. So pull this up but yeah uh a few other investors as well uh i think we have wave financial we have struck capital um but mostly 
uh, mostly institutionals uh, at this point. Um, Alameda Research came in, although I already said FTX Ventures. So, well, in, in terms of your chains, if I may quickly uh, jump in, yeah. um, when partnering with them, is there anything specific you're looking for with regarding the chains, or is it just uh, you know you you might find that there's something specific about that chain, not just kind of yeah, that's a good question. So, in order for what what we're trying to do, in order for it to work, we need to be multi-chain. Uh, however, our core uh, our core native our native token will be launched on Avalanche. Uh, we like the subnet infrastructure. Uh, as we look at various uh, government enterprise use cases, having different permission, having different uh, different uh, sets of nodes. For at different layers with different permissioning capabilities under the same general architecture is something that's really compelling and will be very helpful. Um, for example, uh, and I'm, I, I, you know, and again, if I'm, you may be familiar with the subnets uh, more than I am, but uh, for this use case, if we're talking about, well, I mean, let's say we're talking about the government use cases. Uh, they need to make sure that uh, if I'm the United States government, that the nodes that are processing certain transactions, certain information. Uh, are only in non-sanctioned jurisdictions. So they would need a subnet whose topology only consists of geographically permissible uh, nodes. doesn't change what any of the nodes are doing. They just need that for regulatory or security purposes. So that's where we think the subnet architecture is really compelling for a use case like ours, where it can go from, again, Web3, I mean, where we're, ta where we're talking to now, uh, Web3 games. I saw Godzilla on here. That's somebody that we're talking to. Um, to also, uh, you know, from, from that to DeFi protocols, to exchanges, we want something that the overall architecture can support, uh, but we can kind of create the network. So such that it doesn't exclude any of those use cases. So that's why we like Avalanche, but other partners right now, Polygon, Solana, Polkadot, uh, we're working with Horizon and Mina on some ZK stuff, uh, and we, of course, are working with Arweave IPFS on the decentralized storage. But again, we're working, I mean, really, at the end of the day, if we do our jobs correctly, we should have every major chain. And Atticus, um, I, I think you guys know, uh, you know, uh, aware of Orcubus existing, right? Yes. Would you guys be interested in an intro? Because I'm meeting with Niels in a, probably like one or two weeks. Uh, absolutely. I mean... And one All comment right, on this is this is what's in closed beta right now is our initial um, our initial um, uh, dashboard analytics tool for Web3 native applications and or Web2. Uh, the UI UX has been overhauled. We haven't made a video of it yet because uh, we, we'd stopped fundraising a little while uh, a little bit ago outside of talking to, you know, to you on, on some of the additional SAFT that we had open. So... Uh, but yeah, we're, this is what's in closed beta that should be launched in the next, you know, few weeks. So just some context. And, and before we get started, Edicus, is there a reason why you use Adidas, you know, in particular? Just use Adidas. We had talked to them, and it's a pretty straightforward use case that everybody understands. Okay, okay perfect. But is there yeah. some implications here potentially? You know, some sneak peek about what could be happening in the next one or two years on the Adidas website. Yeah, uh, well, we hope. <laughs> we'll <see. laughs> okay. 
so yeah, whenever you're ready, Atticus. So we're, we're looking at a campaign here where we have Adidas who is looking to engage with their Web3 audience. So again, you can see they want, you know, if I'm Adidas, I want to run campaigns. I want to figure out uh, who I'm engaging with. And, um, you know, at, at this point, we're, we're seeing this as a, you know, as, as kind of a collectible shoe. Uh, so essentially, when you go onto the Adidas website, you'll see, okay, there's a, there's a James Bond shoe. There's a lot of people collecting these things. Obviously, these people are super excited because there's a movie that just came out. So when you go to check out, what will happen is you'll see a pop-up that will say, how about an NFT? And this is an example of, again, these kinds of rewards and these, this functionality that can be used uh, for incentivizing people to tie their wallet. So, again, we talk about microtransactions a lot in Web3, but we're not there yet. We think we will be there, but $0.15 cents a week right now is really not going to be compelling enough to have anybody to, to change or nudge anybody into changing behavior. But if I'm going to spend, you know, what is $200 on a pair of collectible tennis shoes and I can get a free digital twin of those, that is something that's interesting that I can link my account for. Or if I, if they're offering me and I'm a huge fan of, let's say, you know, the Detroit Tigers, um, I can, uh, you know, and they say, oh, we're giving 50% off or we're giving free tickets away if you link your account. Yeah, if I'm a, a huge fan of that, then that's super compelling for me. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to link my account. So, uh, but again, this is an example of what kind of rewards functionality can be can be used uh, to incentivize people to link. So you can press play again. Um, and once we link that, and it takes us into the customer uh, or the you know the user experience, you can see all of the various companies that you've engaged with, uh, that the information uh, that, you, that that they're querying the information. You can see the various. You know, tokens, the wallets that we're connecting. Again, we're multi-chain, so whether it's MetaMask on EVM, Solana, Polkadot, um, different, again, demographic information in here, uh, all of the, you know, various tokens that you're working with, uh, the NFTs that you own across chain, different statistics on what you're doing, different interests. Again, this is all information on you that you are uh, putting in here. And again, here you can see uh, the specific information that each brand or third party is trying to cha is going to challenge. So they want, in this case, age, gender, location, preferences on NFTs and crypto. And again, you have the ability to permission this data to where you say, you know what? No, Adidas, you know, I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Goodbye. Or um, again, a lot of users will delegate this to Snickerdoodle so that they don't have to go through any of this at all. They'll just say, yeah, go ahead, let them, you know, let them query my information. Because again, we're not sharing the inputs, your underlying inputs or your data with anybody. They're not taking custody or getting your data. We're not taking it either. We're providing a, a, a platform where they're able to perform challenges on your data. Um, so even if you are delegating it to us, it's not like you're sharing your data with everybody. But at the end of the day, uh, just even on this, you have that permissioning. So we understand that convenience is going to win over privacy 95% of the time. And I think that's moving in Web3 a little bit away from it. Uh, kind of on a side note, I mean, a lot of people who talk to me about privacy have, you know, made their crypto punks or board apes, their Twitter profile pictures. And, you know, I 
really dislike having to remind them that they just dox themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, it's there's definitely the privacy considerations there. And we're the, the one thing we are doing is we're giving people privacy whether they want it or not, <laughs> or at least the choice of privacy whether they want it or not. They can choose what they want to do with it, but it's still a, you know, a, a paradigm shift from where we are today. I'll let you play. I kind of deviated. I tend to do that. So no, we, um, honestly, it's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, when you go through, so that's, that's where the data querying comes from. And again, if you decide to turn it off, you forfeit the rewards, obviously. So here's where it really matters. It's the data dashboard. So what app, you know, if I'm Adidas, which applications am I using or are my users uh, engaging with? Which ecosystems are they in? Which tokens are they transacting with? What's the other data and information that I have? You can go ahead and play uh, on this one. You know, different demographic information, geographic uh, locations, all of these things that require, uh, that, that are really kind of the foundation of, of how businesses operate online today, but in Web3, there really is no difference. So if I'm talking to a game, um, you know, they have the same issues. So one thing I'll point out here is we use this Adidas example also because if you look at the bottom, it has gaming as the most, uh, as the trending tags for what your users are engaging with. Unless Adidas at the beginning decided, hey, uh, we have this weird hunch that our users are actually gamers, uh, more so than interacting with athletic stuff, uh, then they probably would have chosen the wrong demographic. And that would have meant they would have wasted a lot of money, a lot of time and effort targeting the wrong people. Uh, so this is kind of an example of where right now targeting in Web3, and I think that's the end of this. This is, again, this is basically outlining our dashboarding and analytics That'll be, that uh, will help these things. Right now, targeting... Coordinating marketing in Web3 is like going outside in the dark with a gun, shooting and hoping you hit something. I mean, that's the level of nuance in Web3 right now that we have here. Um, this allows to, for people to justify investments in Web3, this kind of data dashboard, um, as our first initial product. Just for context on our roadmap, our decentralized data lake should be built out and ready for testing and initial users by the end of the year. So what you're looking at here is the, the initial rewards and dashboard feature. Um, the actual uh, decentralized data lake protocol, all of that stuff is actually targeted for the end of the year, which we originally, I think maybe when we did our first presentation with you, uh, we said Q2. Uh, that has changed. We've actually moved that up uh, based on Todd, you know, our CTO and, and the and the architecture that we've been able to develop. Uh, we, I mean, we're just, we're really happy to be able to say that. But anyway, I think, I mean, a good example on the gaming front is, again, uh, we kind of call it the hot start problem. You'll notice in Web3, a lot of companies uh, will start out really strong. There's a lot of hype. They have a big airdrop. And then what? Uh, maybe they have a game. And maybe the game's pretty cool, but, you know, uh, after playing it for 10, 15 hours, you're kind of like, yeah, well, this is cool, but, yeah, you know, I'm going to move on to something else. The issue is if I have a Web3 native game or application, uh, I don't have any business intelligence insights or, uh, you know, really any data to give me direction on what I should be doing, what I should be 
investing in, what I should be changing, how I should be iterating. And that's really dangerous if you're trying to operate a business. Uh, if, you know, I mean, in Web 2, that's literally the name of the game. Like, how am I measuring these things? How do I improve? What do users like? What do they not like? And right now, I mean, I love Discord, but right now, I mean, surveys on Discord are probably the most advanced way for a project to find out what its users think, which is really not that sophisticated of a strategy. Um, so if you think about it, this is, this is where we're taking, and again, adding these tools and features that augment and improve the accessibility of Web3 applications, but also create the ecosystem where outside new parties can join the Web3, you know, can, can just join and start uh, investing in blockchain-related applications. So, yeah, yeah that's... To, just to, to chime in briefly, you know, to me, the biggest selling point on this when we talk about, uh, you know, us deciding to invest into Snickerdoodle the data which you see here on the back end of Adidas is 100% new. No one on the planet has that data yet. So th these are learnings which you're making super early, which will give you a head start and, you know, where you will be able to evolve as a platform and where all the businesses you work with will be able to evolve in terms of how they market for Web3. And then once you get that head start, I don't think there will be anyone being able to catch up. Even if they, you know, they might copy the, the concept in general, they might copy maybe even the infrastructure, but you're the first one to provide those insights. And, you know, then it's a, almost impossible for anyone to catch up, right? Yeah, I think, I think so. And, and, and frankly, it's as much as catching up as if we have, uh, I mean, <clears throat> If we build this out and we're far enough along, it just won't be economical to. I mean, you want to create your own decentralized yes. data lake. I mean, some people will call this Google Analytics for Web3, um, which, eh, you know, I, I don't, I, I mean, I can see why people would say that, and it's not a bad thing. I mean, but, um, you know, if I were to uh, latch on to that analogy, I would, you know, because some people, you know, maybe somebody would say, well, why doesn't a wallet just build this, uh, you know, build these analytics for their, their tools? And I go, well, that's, that's kind of like, again, if you're using the Web2 example, why, doesn't every, why does every company not build their own Google Analytics? Well, it's because it doesn't make any sense. It would be kind of a waste of, you know, I mean, why would you use Google Analytics? Uh, also, um, you can, you know, if you were to build your own internal thing, you can see it. And, and that's, I'll go into that in a second. If you build your own thing, uh, you're missing the 99% of all of the other data in other ecosystems. You don't know what your users are, you know, each of your users has six different wallets uh, across different chains. You don't have visibility in any of that. So you really don't have any profile or any, any real rich data set on these individuals. Um, so, I mean... <clears throat> that's why you, you know you, you need something like this uh, in order to in order to make that happen, and that's why we made the conscious decision. We're not a wallet. We're not a marketplace. Uh, we're not our own L one. Uh, we're a data layer that integrates with all of them. Because the moment we decide to compete with them on those things, we we basically get in, you know we step in front of ourselves uh in terms of market adoption you can't be an existing player and be a universal solution like this if it's going to be done decentral decentral if it's going to be decentralized and if it's going to be done correctly 
and have universal applicability. Who would be noteworthy competitors of Snickerdoodle? And where do you see your uh, strategic advantages or your USPs where you, know, you feel like you're untouchable or you're the ones who are going to make it? That's a good question. The honest answer is we haven't run into one, uh, a true competitor yet. We, you, one could argue that digital ID companies or platforms are competitive, like Civic, Spruce ID, Cambridge Blockchain. But that's not really, I mean, it, they have a completely different approach. I mean, they're starting digital ID first. It's on our roadmap, but right now what I just showed here has nothing to do with digital ID. Um, so my co-founder, John Padilla, always uses the example of a steam engine. I mean, we think we've seen people who have built pistons, built levers, built different uh, components, but I think we're the first people to see that you can build a steam engine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, are there, there, are, there are products that scrape public on-chain data and give you trading insights, great products. There are people trying to do digital ID, which, I mean, they're all very smart uh, and capable players, but there, again, like I said, or said earlier, there's no market for it uh, right now. So they're having a really tough time. Um, I don't think we've seen anybody putting this stuff together yet. And I would be curious to get your thoughts on this. So when we talk about digital ID and, you know, there being no market for this, I think that if you mention a digital ID to anyone in Web3, probably all of them will run away screaming because they feel their privacy being invaded. And then when you talk to someone in Web2, for them it's way too difficult to understand the concept of a digital ID in the Web3 uh, environment. So there's really no... You know, there's no market yet, but I also don't see any market actually being established anytime soon. That's because the the audience for that is, is yeah very difficult to get a hold of. And I think a much easier approach is, you know, and that's where your name comes in, Snickerdoodle being like a sweet reward where people give up some of their data to get a reward. And then in turn, the business who uses your, your platform is then also getting rewarded with the data. And at this point in time, now everyone starts to win. And then I think the, the next step towards a, a digital ID might be more approachable for everyone because now people have built up the trust in using your platform and have understood that by using your interface, they don't give away their data, but they take on ownership of the actual data and then can freely decide what and if they want to share it in the first place. So at the end of the day, your, your first approach is empowering everyone and educating them on the actual usability and utility of what you're doing. And then I think the, the user base themselves, they will probably ask for the digital ID for them to take on true ownership and not be enslaved anymore by all the big companies selling their data uh, freely because they've pretty much signed away the rights to their own data. Right. I mean, I think, I think you, you're certainly spot on there. I mean, the, the origin, I mean, the way the name originated was actually cookies. It's, I mean, we named ourselves after a cookie uh, for those cookies of web three example. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, deep inside you, you know that the thing is not going to last over the course of the next six months. So, you know, that's also the reason why we are very much interested in those infrastructure investments like Snickerdoodle, like Orki, uh, Noddle, for example. These are all things which I think are much, much better uh, long-term investments than some of the more more simple games where you have to pray for them to get actually get adoption and then <laughs> most of them are getting um yeah pretty much yeah destroyed as soon as the market turns and as soon as there's not that hype anymore and i think the the infrastructure investments are just going to play out way better over the course of the next couple of years absolutely completely well of course completely agree on the infrastructure uh but yeah absolutely all right um Atticus, uh thank you once again for your time uh, i will make a couple of announcements for the community so please don't leave the ama yet uh we have we have a couple of news uh, regarding a few other deals um but oh, Atticus, uh thank you once again and i'm hoping to see you around thank you thank you you as well appreciate everybody uh listening to me all right thank you and bye bye I have to interact with Snickerdoodle unless you want to. Um, you can have it on the background, and you can check in if you want. You can ignore it if you want. Uh, you can permission your data if you want. You can delegate it if you want. Uh, it's really up to you. Uh, so there will be additional features that will probably allow for more engagement in the direct kind of uh, portal itself. But a lot of it's it's really just that integration uh, in with other applications. All right, thank you. Um, so let's touch back on the uh, reward system. And that's a question which we got asked. And that's, could you, uh, could you also ask for insights on the reward system of Snickerdoodle? How will users reap rewards? Also, if someone has a white paper or something, would gladly see it, I can't find on their website. And I know we, we touched on the, the NFT reward system, but maybe you can go into... Um, the tokens and the, the value, which the monetary value, uh, and, and potentially, and I know we touched on this earlier, but we didn't touch on the uh, um, UBI, for example, which, which could be something that's, that could be potentially happening, right? And then maybe also, and I'm sorry if I drag out too many questions and push them into one, um, but the the actual scope of adoption which you're looking at. I know you mentioned earlier a billion onboarding a billion new users into Web3, but what kind of a scope do you guys actually have for Snickerdoodle? Like what kind of a market cap, uh, TVL, et cetera, are we looking at for the oncom, you know, the next one to five years? Yeah, on the light paper side, um... I don't know if you guys uh, we I, we sent that to you. Uh, we should have. Um, so uh, if not, I can post it. Or if anybody who who wants to just mess. I mean, I guess if it's okay, if you want to message me directly, um, I can respond with it with it attached. Uh, but anyway, um, um, yeah. Let me double check. Oh yeah. So the deck, right? Yeah. Well, th I think different. The light paper would be uh, separate from the deck. Uh, uh, okay, I didn't. I don't think we got the light paper. So if you can send it to me, then I will share it with the community. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, so when I talked about that long-term vision of data DeFi, that's where that UBI comes in. So I mean, Andrew Yang campaigned on a universal basic income powered by data. 
essentially that's what we, I mean, if we do our job right, that's essentially what we'll be empowering here. Uh, that, you know, and I gave the example of your data is worth, say, it's, let's say your data is worth $10,000 a month. Um, you know, being able to leverage that as you see fit is, is what we see as the, as the private sector version of UBI that he was referring to. Um, you know, and, it, and the, the nice thing is it doesn't require, you know, taxes. It doesn't require, you know, I mean, it's actually done via the private sector. Uh, so that's where those rewards come in. I think the rewards to incentivize adoption or wallet attribution, uh, I would say are probably a separate mechanism. Uh, we view the doodle token as what that UBI as will be denominated in, in the future. However, we need to reach to your other question on the scope of adoption, that has to come first. So we think through the rewards functions, regardless of the value of our token, which of course we hope the, the token economy will grow exponentially. Um, and we think it, and you know, we're confident it will, but uh, at the beginning, we, you know, we, we have to reward people different, differently. And, and really at the beginning, um, we want to make sure that we're rewarding people with what they want. So if they're logging into, and we're not going to, you know, it, it's, we're not going to build the best reward system for every single product out there. The nice thing is we don't have to. Uh, Godzilla will, you know, say, let's say Godzilla as, as a use case um, will offer a free NFT, uh, you know, whatever it might be. We'll offer a free, like, we're, we'll offer a really cool, unique gun that you can get uh, if you link your Snickerdoodle lot when you log in. Some people are going to say, absolutely, I want that. Who wouldn't, you know, who wouldn't? Um, and, you know, so we, we don't actually have to rely on the native doodle token for those rewards right at the beginning. Uh, obviously, as we do, or as we continue to build, the doodle token will be more compelling than some of these NFT rewards as value increases and we're able to leverage the treasury a lot more. For scope of adoption, I think what's really interesting is about web3 is it's hard to know how many people are actually using it right now <laughs> um you know you'd say how many wallets are active in the avalanche ecosystem well i don't you know i mean i could look that up how what does that have to do with how many users you have uh i don't know i mean i'm sure they're correlated but i, I mean i i'm sure many people here have you know i mean i have I have like, you know, probably 25 different wallets for various things. I mean, that doesn't mean that there are 25 of me. So it's figuring out, how, you know, it's it's help, kind of figuring out how to map these these ecosystems a little bit, um, which is which is helpful. So our thesis is if we can, if we take any major ecosystem, let's say it's Avalanche. Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan, so I'll, I'll pick on them. Um, if we have... If we've integrated with four or five major games on there, uh, their major, you know, one or two DEXs, a couple of DeFi uh, projects, we think we'll have a pretty good mapping of the Avalanche ecosystem. Almost everybody interacting with or being as an active user of the system will have a uh, will uh, have at least touched or uh, interacted with one of our our uh, you know one of our integrated applications. And the, the reality is, while you have complete data permissioning, I mean, you really only have to do it once. I mean, once you link your Avalanche wallet, you've linked it. Um, now, 
lucky for you, you've linked it with us. So you don't have to worry about, I mean, again, you have this data permissioning and that's really, I mean, that's, that's the whole point of web three. It's supposed to be a trustless system. You, you don't, you shouldn't, if we do, you know, if, if we're doing any of this correctly, you should not have to trust anything I'm saying. It should be unnecessary. You should just, you know, you should be able to, I mean, you can look at the, at the open source code. You can look at the publications. You can look at the mechanism of how it works and know that regardless of whether I want your data or not, um, it doesn't really matter because like, there's nothing I can do. And that's really what we, you know, that's, that's, I think where, uh, again, what excites me a lot about web three, uh, it's trust and verify, but you don't actually have to trust. All you have to do is verify. <laughs> And Ericus, um, you mentioned earlier, and please correct me if, if we misheard this, um, that uh, the user's data has a certain dollar amount in worth, right, or in value. Can you reiterate how much that is on a monthly basis uh, per user? Uh, let, let's take the example for Facebook, for example. So how much is your data worth to Facebook on a monthly basis? Um, and then how did you go about verifying that that data is actually correct. Yeah, the the well, so the question is, we're not exactly sure how much a user's data is worth. We know it's worth a lot. I can't give you ex an exact number. If I were to look at uh, you know various publications, I've seen things saying that Facebook. Your value on Facebook is uh, is worth about nine hundred dollars a year, which is for one one platform, one product. I mean that doesn't mention eBay or eBay, uh, PayPal, uh, you know, uh, Google. I mean, centralized exchanges. Uh, I mean, think about every platform that you log. Amazon. Think about how you log in, and, and each one of those has its own value assigned to the data that you have. So in aggregate, it's really hard to know. Our thesis is that it's worth a decent amount. If it is indeed worth multiple thousands a year, then we know that there's something to shoot for. We know that, uh, uh, you know, if you're talking about $1,000 a month, for example, that's really compelling. Um, you know, frankly. Uh, and, it, and it makes it a lot harder for, you know, if I'm going to, if I, you know, I mean, so, I mean, that, that's, so that's, that's actually a hard question to answer. We don't exactly know. We're still figuring that out. We're really and excited to figure that out though. But we know, for example, we have some good data points. So where we would estimate, uh, at least right now, the between, right now we would think we could impute a value of between seven to $20,000 per individual who is active online a year. And we would probably also have to assume that not all data is equal, right? Like some people's right. data might be worth more. Correct. So um, I guess it's kind of a funny thing to say. We know that the market is massive. Do we know exactly what the dollar amount is? Not quite. But in a weird way for this, we don't need to. We just know that it's enough to be worth it. So we have uh, a couple of more questions uh, regarding the, regarding the tokenomics, you know, which, which is not surprising since people have invested money and you know yeah. they're obviously curious uh, what is going on and you know the the future plans for uh, the utility and when you guys have potentially planned the TGE. Um, 
and then there's questions around um I think you guys have a two token model, right? So there's questions about Snicker and Doodle, whether or not these are the same tokens. Yeah, so I'll work backwards. The Snicker token, we have a two token system. However, there's only one token that actually has a value or will ever be transacted with. The Snicker is simply a piece of infrastructure. That's what I refer to as kind of that air traffic controller for data permissioning. Snickers are not sold. They have no value. Uh, they're not, well, they're not fungible, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of funny. They're, I mean, they're non-fungible, yes. Um, but uh, they, I mean, so that, that's just a piece of infrastructure. That, that's the architecture of the platform. So when you're thinking about from an economic perspective, there's only one token, and it's the doodle. Um, so I guess thinking about the value of that, the timeline goes as such. We've done the strategic and, I mean, the, these, the uh, first raise of these tokens. And we will do one more private raise probably first half of next year. And that depends on market. You know, it just that depends on a few market dynamics. We have enough runway, assuming that we don't, assuming that we have zero revenue, zero grants, and, uh, uh, and zero other activities, zero fundraising. We, right now could operate with cash in the bank until middle 2025. So we're not under the gun to raise. Um, when, do you, excuse me, when do you guys um, intend to generate the first revenues? Uh, looks like probably the next two months. All right. That's amazing. I mean, that, that's super, super early. Yeah. So, it, so we're, you know, and that, that's actually, again, the, the revenue from that's going to come from, uh, the integrating of this analytics dashboard, our you know, our kind of our first go to market, or our first product to market. So that's um, that's what we see here, uh, and so we'll do that uh, the private token sale that will raise the value of the token, and then uh, we'll probably do an initial listing maybe the second half of next year. Um, likely FTX, Kraken. Also, because I mean, they participate in the round, so we have a good feeling about those. Um, yes. And then a lot of the other ones, and we have a good relationship with Binance and uh, Coinbase and those. The other thing, side note, very quickly, for the analytics dashboard, the reason that we started with that, we originally were going to go straight in advertising, but as we started talking to everybody, uh, to all these games in the space, and every, you know, all these Web three applications, uh, they kept saying, "Yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great," but is there a way for you to just give us insights on who's using our platform? So that's why we were actually able to go to market a lot sooner because we were able to kind of launch a first product at, at a third of the way, you know, a third of the way through where we thought we would be able, would have had to simply based on that user feedback. So that's also to comment on timeline. And someone mentioned this earlier, so forgive me if this is not true and I, I'm not sure where the question was, but someone mentioned that, um, Apparently, you had fallen behind on some of your milestones in, in the white paper on your roadmap. I'm not sure if that's true, but maybe you can just quickly comment on that. Um, we, because of legal, we fell behind on the fundraising roadmap, but we never, that never slowed us down. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we've fallen behind on that. Um, 
Yeah, not that I'm aware of. Uh, I mean, we, we've been talking with our co-building partners, which is really the timelines that we've been measuring, and uh, they've been super, I mean, we've uh, we've met, we've at least met all the timelines that, uh, that we've set with at least external parties, so. Um, okay. Yeah. And um, for the next private round, um, so we invested in at a $500 million evaluation with 20% discount. So the, the private round, assumably, assumably, is going to be a, at a $500 million evaluation without the discount. Well, actually, your investment's a little bit more favorable for you than that, uh, if I were to explain it. So what we launch... or. Uh, there's the cap of 500, which I, you know, I just, I'm always careful about the nomenclature on this. So it's a cap of 500 that, you know, let's say we were to raise our next round at 200, which we have no intention of doing, but just for the sake of, uh, of argument, um, that would mean that you would be getting the tokens at a 20% discount to the 200 million. Uh, obviously you have that 500 cap. So really, uh, what you, what, so that's actually a cap. So the reason we put the cap in for this is to, is to kind of protect you because we could end up raising a round that, you know, okay, well, we're going to raise our next round with a token economy valued at $3 billion. <laughs> um, In that case, you would basically be buying the you, – you basically bought those tokens priced at $3 billion at $400 million because yeah. of the 20% discount to five hundred. Um, so you basically have a cap of $400 million, uh if the token price goes higher than that, uh, if not, then you just end up getting more tokens uh, for that same price. So you technically purchased an unpriced SAFT. So I always just say, you know, the valuation, uh, you know, so 500 million is not the valuation. It's just, it's actually the cap on the most that we could value, the, basically the most that you could spend valuation rise on the next round, regardless of what it actually is. And that's the thing. We're building infrastructure that allows people to permission their data, but it's not our data. And we're not the brokers. We're not sell we can't we don't sell data to anybody. We can't. I mean, yes. literally anybody on here, if you using Snickerdoodle, no matter what I do or anybody at the team at Snickerdoodle does, we cannot see your data based on the architecture. There's nothing I can do. So that's the really cool thing about it. Uh we're able to you know, so so it's really hard to regulate us if we're not a data broker, data exchange, or you know, kind of custodying or storing it. Long story short, yes. And so one thing which I brought up in our initial call is, um, uh, which I offered to you, is a potential testing of your alpha and beta um, products um, through our community. So just to uh, you know, touch on it again. When do you think it would be possible for our community to actually do like a test of your interface and your integrations? Yeah, and, and to be very blunt, that was one of the things that excited us when, when uh, we were talking about, you know, because when we were talking about, uh, you know, who, who we want to have in the round, who we want to be partners with, uh, having a community, being able to, to test those things out is actually, was actually really excited us. I would say in the next uh, around when we're launching, so probably the next month, month and a half. Let's be conservative and say two months. Uh, yes. We should be able to have you, you know, your community come in and try to break uh, break what we built. All right, um, Atticus, 
Uh, thank you once again for your time. And I'm hoping to see you around. Thank you. Thank you. You as well. Appreciate everybody uh, listening to me. All right. Thank you. And bye-bye. Bye. This recording has been prepared by VVV. The recording is made available by VVV and is for information purposes only. This recording should not be considered as an offer or solicitation to sell, buy, or subscribe to any financial instruments or product, securities, or any other derivative instrument, or any other rights pertaining thereto. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future value or price of any instruments referred to in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers, or employees, do not accept any liability for any loss arriving from the use of the information. The information contained therein, including any expressions of opinion, have been obtained from or is based on sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy or completeness is not guaranteed and is subject to change without notice. Any expressions of opinions reflect the views of the speakers and are not necessarily those of VVV and are subject to change without notice. Any decisions made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not be influenced or based or any view expressed by VVV in this recording or otherwise. This recording does not address all risks. This recording does not institute investment advice or a recommendation that has been prepared without regard to individual financial circumstances, objectives, or particular needs of listeners. Listeners should seek their own financial, tax, legal, regulatory, and other advice regarding the appropriateness or otherwise of investing in any instruments and or pursuing any investment strategies.